There's a handful of companies out there that I get really excited about following because I'm a big user and fan of their services uh, or their software. And for me, Spotify is certainly one of them. And so Spotify for me gets even cooler when I'm able to dig into their people team and come across uh, an incredible leader like Katarina Berg, who is their CHRO, uh, actually one of uh, a variety of leadership hats that she wears at Spotify. You know, Katarina has been really building some impressive organizations over her entire career, but really even focusing in on what she's been building at Spotify. She has a very unique and forward-leaning approach to building out a people function, and I really enjoyed digging into that with her in today's podcast. We cover a range of topics from people analytics and the role of uh, data in people strategy to her gender-neutral policies around family leave and their leadership there. So we're going to dig into all that and more after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called the Ecosystem. The ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am really thrilled today to be joined by the Chief Human Resources Officer of Spotify, Katarina Berg. Katarina and I are going to cover a range of progressive initiatives that she's been driving over at Spotify and uh, and a variety of things around that. So Katarina, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners just a, a brief introduction and background on you? Thank you very much. And, and I'm pleased to be in, in and on your show, uh, Lars. So my background is that I'm a behavior scientist and I've been working with HR or people uh, related issues or questions now for more than 22 years. So for all of you that really are good at math, I started at 12 years old, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's been in, uh, I have had the luxury and also the chance to every time uh, I have jumped on uh, or into a new job, it's been a new industry, uh, which means that I had an opportunity to also not necessarily do a blue copy of myself. So I started off in the in the car building business in a Swedish company called Volvo. And from there, I went into the oil business, which was Stream Petroleum from, from oil. I went to commercial TV, which would be Discovery today. Uh, and then from there, I went into a telco company that is is called Three in the World, uh, Hutchinson Vapoa. Um, and then from Telco, I went into banking, uh, Sweden, Sweden, Sweden's largest bank, Swedbank. And from Swedbank, I went to retail. And from retail, I got into Spotify, which then was a tech company, turned into a music company, and now is an audio plus company. So that would be my kind of work story. Yeah, well, you weren't kidding about... Uh... Having exposure to a lot of different industries, that's uh, that's really interesting. I'm curious, kind of from your perspective, obviously, um, you know, having spent over 20 years 
in the industry and, and kind of working in HR leadership roles in, in a range of different industries. Mm-hmm. When you think about how the field of HR has evolved over that time, what are some of the biggest shifts that you've seen? I think it has been, if not so a paradigm, but I think it has been very clear that when I came out fresh from university, it was a lot about labor law. It was a lot about, you know, the bread and butter, the transactional HR. And I think still that is important. If you don't know the hygiene factors, if you don't know the base, if you don't know kind of the the, the basic colors of the HR palette, I think it's very hard to do kind of the, the transformation and also go digital and even be quite agile in the new way uh, and new ways of working. So I think back then it was a lot about that. It was a lot about, you know, uh, workplace environment uh, uh, and a lot about health. Um, so, and then I think it moved over to a bit more of kind of culture and new ways of, of, of motivating people. And then the focus with that for, for a while. And now I think it's all about building up the business. It's, it's very close to uh, what's core, depending on what company and what type of business it is. It's actually back to, I think, uh, what, what can describe any company, uh, the three Ps, right? It's the product, it's the people, and it's the profit. And I think uh, for the longest time, I think HR were not necessarily focusing so much on the on the profit side. I don't think we did really, you know, spend so much time on the product or the service, depending on what type of business. It was all about people, but not necessarily the strategic kind of questions. So I think it has been a, a quite clear shift on uh, where maybe HR is not the business, it's still a support function, but it's much more a, a, a strategic, it's much more a pushback, a challenge, and a, a kind of a development area. And I think we sit much closer, if not dead center of the business. Yeah, I, that's such an important point, I think, especially as you talk about modern HR, because that that business acumen, that business alignment uh, mm-hmm. is is essential, right? You you can't be a modern HR leader without. When I, when I think of the role today, uh, to me, the the CHRO, CPO, whatever the the title may be, is mm-hmm. is one of the most complex roles on the executive team because you have to have uh, the uh, business acumen and understanding how the company operates and makes money and the strategic plan, as much as your executive peers, you have to have a gauge of the financials like a CFO. You have to have a gauge of the marketing and go-to-market strategy as the the CMO. You just have to you have to understand all of those facets of how the company runs and how it grows, and then kind of distill all of that understanding into a people strategy that you're then also managing and making sure that aligns to that organizational strategy. Like that's massively complex and challenging. I think so. Totally. I I, I agree 100%. Uh, So in one way, the job has never been more complex. It has never been more difficult, but it has never been more fun. So I think congratulations for everybody that has chosen this path and works within HR and, 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 Think about there are so many good jobs, obviously, in the company and and, and, and really important roles. Um, but most of them, they actually work no matter if you're organized like that or you're struggling with silos, but they're working within an island or a pocket in the organization and, and they need to do so. I think what actually differs from our role and what we do, we span over all the, the parts of the organization. 
And we have the chance and also it's our job to really help and develop and make that grow. So um, who who is better to give advice, but also work very closely with the CEO to, to grow that organization, to build out the business, but also work with the org design and, and sometimes uh, really make sure that you are set up for success in, in shifting the load from the left leg to the right leg before anybody kind of understands or realize or wants to do the change, which means also you have to be the change agents and, and you have to stay, you know, uh, front leaning and, and, and really, you know, exercising your calves so you can be the ones that pushes the organization and challenge and challenge the, the chosen truth of what used to be a winning bet, but could be a losing bet if you, you know, can't kill your darlings. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that, that, that kind of blend of skills and particularly around the business acumen allows you to have that understanding where you mm-hmm. can, if you, if you see that that shift is coming and the organization isn't prepared for it, you can then advocate for that change, uh, you know, well before it may be obvious based on the market conditions, right? Because you just, you have the foresight of knowing what's coming uh, and having yeah. a sense of that, you know, for the, the last six years, you've been leading HR at Spotify and I imagine most listeners are generally familiar with Spotify. And so I'm, I want to kind of hone more in on, uh, you know, you actually, some of them might be listening to this podcast on Spotify, um, but from your, your time there over the last six years, how has the company evolved? You kind of, when you talked about your overview, you talked about going from, you know, music to media to audio plus, like, how would you describe that Spotify's evolution over the last six years? I think when it comes to org, if I would say that we've been into at least three kind of phases uh, or or if you would talk to my boss, you would probably talk about innings, but I don't play baseball. So I say that, <laughs> that you know, the three parts of the, of the still very early journey. I think, you know, uh, Spotify 1.1 uh, or 1.0 uh, was a bit of a typical startup, right? Um, a lot of, um, of, of really smart engineers uh, having a, a you know audacious kind of of, of objective of win, trying to you know spread the joy of music to the world, and and more or less everything was was focusing on that. A lot of passion uh, uh, went into that, and 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 there was some pieces of luck, but a lot of hard work, and and uh, most things were not necessarily organized. And then you have two point zero. Uh, of the company where it went uh, all the way full Monty of the Agile Manifesto, the way that we work, the way that we recruited, how we communicate, you know, everything was very, very close to, I would say, almost religious when it comes to the Agile Manifesto. And then I think that the phase we are in now, a bit more mature, uh, obviously um, having close to 40 offices uh, covering uh, close to, or very, well, I would say exactly kind of maybe 75 markets um, and and uh, not being a, a baby, not a toddler, not even a teenager, but maybe a young adult, if you would use that metaphor in the org's kind of development. And now um, a bit more senior management uh, leaders uh, um, that were brought in more like tent poles to to really kind of pull up and push and and also guide and support, but also mentor uh, that uh, a bit more younger management um, to kind of fast forward uh, their growth and 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 their maturity as as leaders at Spotify. So I think the shift of 
um, kind of us going from that kind of very young kid into to to ad- adolescence uh, and now being a young adult, but being a bit scared of, of being a grown up because we <laughs> think with that you could over engineer processes, you could be quite slow and dense, you could uh, not be so nimble and fast uh, to execute. Uh, so it's a now it's it's it's, it's one of those. Uh, try not to rush into full matureness and being adults and a bit boring and and slow and and overly uh, you know overthink everything, uh, but still uh, be very much uh, in in scaling and developing phase. And that means also that my team, the the HR team, um, uh, which is one of, of four remits that I have, uh, needs to kind of uh, follow that, but also. Uh, be ahead of that. Uh, so it has been a quite big of a of a change, uh, and I would say it's been two years uh, uh, where we were maybe a bit more um, ad hocy, if I would use that, uh, even if the end goal was quite clear, uh, and and we were maybe not always so intentional. Uh, and then we had two years where we were super intentional, and and the Bible was more the Agile Manifesto. And now I think we are running the company. In, in what we call the Spotify rhythm that is very intentional and, and our way of working. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, you have kind of four teams you oversee. Um, what are those four teams? And then within the HR team specifically, how is your kind of people team structured? So uh, the four teams I have, uh, so it's HR, um, uh, which is my first love uh, and my oldest love. And then I have GVS, which is uh, uh, the global workplace services. And it's very connected and also with the way Daniels is thinking about things, right? So it's everything that has to do with real estate and, and, and build and design and, and, and facility management and office management. So that would be GVS. Uh, the third uh, remit is strategy ops. So that is our vision, mission, um, our Spotify rhythm, uh, the way we run the company bets, uh, and and uh, and also the the way we execute and 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 very much uh, how we work with uh, trying to, you know, iterate on on a smarter way and a faster way of working. Uh, so that would be strategy ops. And the third remit is brand and creative. Um, and if we go back to HR, um, so how are they structured? Uh, I think in all these phases, we've been very fast on, on moving over to kind of mirror the organization that we support. So when we were more structured as function, uh, the HR department then mirrored the functions. And then the same day we moved over to business unit, then my organization also moved into business units to be very tight and, and to actually be supportive, but but also to be able to 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 support and add a system in that change and, and, and to guide uh, and support the managers as well as the employees in, in that shift. Uh, uh, and, and working in a very, very complex organization where speed is more or less everything. Um, it's, it, we can't really be on the sidelines and we can't really right. be only commenting from the sideline. We have to throw ourselves in the middle, which means that, yes, um, like any manager that dares um, also have the willingness and, and the courage to lead, I would say it go- the same goes for an HR team, right? It's never, we're never going to win a popularity, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, um, a test or, 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 or 
competition because sometimes you have to be the partner that says the things that necessarily not everybody or anybody wants to hear when you have to announce it and you have to work with the four c's you have to be clear you have to be consistent you have to be compelling hopefully you have to be courageous and you have to be close and close to the business so it is sometimes your job to rip some band-aids and back to those chosen truths Uh, Most people, even if they're young, even if they work in a company like ours, they don't necessarily like change, right? Because if they did, they were not human beings. And some (laughs) of us go like, yeah, I love change. I embrace change. And, you know, I'm good at change. But I think you are more or less lying to yourself. I think there are people that are, you know, very open to that. And I think people that are early adopters to that. And I think, you know, but it goes back to Nietzsche, I think. People don't necessarily have to like your choices or your decisions or what where you're going, but they have to understand. So for you not to be able to communicate that and and you know execute on that and 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 lead people so they can understand why you do that, then most people are also okay with the change, even if that was not what they would have maybe you know uh, preferred. So I think. I think back to how are we organized. We uh, most people here get a new job every six months. That is how we grow and how wow. fast we grow, and that is the complexity the organization are then brought into. Which means that my team also have to reorg a lot, and and sometimes I have to remind the team of this too. Of most organization reorg because they have to right size or downsize. We we are in the change of reorging because we are growing, which is a good thing, but it's also very tiresome. So it used to be quite complex and, and very chaotic. And now I would say welcome to controlled chaos, which is <laughs> a totally different thing. But you have to pressure test within yourself, both in my team, but also when you join Spotify, if that is something that you can handle, not just something that you say, because it sounds like you're a very you know, open-minded person, right? So everything that we do, everything that we design, everything that rolls out is actually built on a foundation of a growth mindset. Uh, and we also very clear that our role as an HR team or the role of our managers and leaders is not really to motivate our people. We truly believe that we have highly motivated people that work here or come to work here. Um, so there are other things that we need to, to do to make them thrive, to make them grow and, and make them also find it to be interesting tomorrow to stay here and work uh, on that same kind of target and, and, and mission that we do have. So I, I think that I think the short answer would have been Lush is we are organized in the way that is relevant for the business. And then when it's not relevant or before it's not relevant, we change so we can help the organization to also change in growth. Yeah, and I think that that's really interesting. I mean, especially talking about uh, the average kind of tenure in a role is six months there. I think that's uh that's definitely like a a rocket ship for career development within HR that I imagine has got to be a, a, a big appeal for the right kind of people, not for everybody, but for the, the kind of people that are going to thrive on your team. I think that would be a big uh, benefit. You, know, you, you talk about um, being able to have kind of an agile team uh, built on a, on a kind of growth mindset foundation and being able to make adjustments to 
structure and focus as uh, as the business and the market kind of requires that really in advance of that. So you kind of have mm-hmm. some foresight. Uh, I would imagine to be able to do that, uh, you need to have a pretty robust um, people analytics uh, capability and kind of focus within your team. And I know that's something you've written about in the past. You know, I'm curious, when, when you think about people analytics uh, and metrics, what metrics and analytics are kind of most valuable for you as you are trying to kind of determine how to adjust the the focus and structure of your team? I think the honest answer on that is I think we were, as a lot of companies, quite late to the show. Yeah. I think we had the KPIs that everybody else talked about, especially in a, in a typical HR department. Uh, and I think uh, we used them in the way that I think both companies do, which in one way would then be um, not guiding, not really uh, helping us take decisions, right? Uh, it was more statistics or numbers and the numbers more for the sake of the numbers, right? And and making us feel sure that, okay, we're not deviating for a course or there's not a red flag, but not necessarily a super green flag either. And then we decided, um, um, I think as late as, a year and a half, maybe two years ago, well, this doesn't really work. If in a fast-paced organization where competition is fierce and everything is fierce, including the the thing that we talk about a lot in HR, right? The, the competition uh, for talent and talent density and or scarcity, right? Uh, we needed to be better. We needed to move from where I think we were quite good, which was TA analytics or TA statistics even. I needed more conclusions. I needed more daring kind of analytics and analysis on the numbers that we had. And then uh, we had to look uh, ourselves in the mirror and we had to really, you know, call a spade a spade and say, this is not good enough, especially in a very data uh, informed company like ours. Uh, so one of the things that we decided, we said that we will not be data driven or data led. Uh, and I have gotten a lot of, and I will use the word, sorry, Elosh, uh, shit for <laughs> using the metaphor of a bikini, uh, but I will do so this time too. Shit is acceptable. It's okay. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> because you know, as well as I do, and everybody that has seen a bikini uh, is that, you know, it, it actually, it, it reveals a lot. And I mean a lot. Uh, 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 but it also hides the most important parts, right? And I think data is the same thing. If you have uh, kind of an over-belief that if you have all the data and you collect all the data, uh, it will actually then uh, lead you into decisions. So when we said that we would be data-informed, it wasn't just semantics. Uh, It was, okay, we do have intuition, uh, which in my world is also experience, but we need to be much better off collecting the right and relevant data so we don't have too much, and to the data that actually informs us how to take decisions that helps and guides the whole organization on business decision, not just decisions on HR or in HR, right? Right. so I think we started to do that. Uh, we moved the the, uh, the people analytics or the HR insights department um, uh, and moved them into another team uh, that is Comp and Ben that has a lot of analytics uh, people and, and with much more analytical mindset. Um, and we started then to create uh, a, a kind of a, 
a data warehouse where we can be and necessarily also take a much more informed decision going forward. And bam, all of a sudden, all the HRB is going into you know, uh, lead team meetings, myself going into Daniel's meetings. It's not just that uh, I can, uh, which I said a lot before, and I always are like, you you need to trust me. I know this, or my experience says, <laughs> or I have a feeling, or I have a hunch, or, and, and it wasn't that I was wrong, but now obviously I have the data too. And two, it also means that a couple of things that w- would have been on paper really daring, and at and was op, open bets before we knew if they were losing bets or, or winning bets. Um, kind of everything said that we should go for that. Where competition went left, we went right. And or it helps us to dare to be disruptive, which is part of our DNA, but it's much more based on, on facts today. So we kind of look at it as a lock of keys, right? Where we need the water to go from one level to another level so we can take much more data-informed decisions on the data sets, uh, which is exciting in so many ways. And by just doing the move within the organization and also giving it a lot of limelight and, and using it in a way and being very open of that hey, we were late to, to, to this party, but this is what we're going to do. And then listen into the rest of the Spotify organization that has been working with data and AI and machine learning so much longer than we. So we could kind of pivot our work and, and fast forward where we wanted to be and needed to be, which means that I think everybody feels that they are in, in, in people analytics today, no matter if they are in greenhouse or, you know, diversity and belonging or, or in, in comp and ban, or if you're an HRBP and I can continue and continue. So it's, it's much more in our daily work, but it's also much more in, in the advice that we give uh, in our, in combined with our matter kind of subject expertise. Uh, so uh, I think everybody went from, isn't uh, people analysis really boring to, hey, is this not the most exciting and most sexy thing that we actually have uh, to add to the business? Yeah, well, it's, I love the way you frame that in terms of uh, being data-informed versus data-led. Because I think, you know, as an industry, uh, obviously the capability and the technology and the growing sophistication of data and analytics is transformative to how we do our job. Uh, right? right, but I think that you right. can you can easily over-index on that, and and there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, hard-earned intuition based on experience as well. When you couple those things in a way that makes sense, I think that's that's where the magic happens. You know, and, and you had uh, you had written a really interesting anecdote uh, about your people analytics journey, kind of early on, talking about this idea of uh, lots of data but no story. Mm-hmm. And that I re- that really resonated with me because I think it's so important that you're able to ultimately leverage the data, combine that with your intuition and be able to tell a story from that. And so how, you know, if, if uh, for CHROs who are listening uh, and they're, they're trying to do a better job of really, you know, connecting the dots to create stories that are informed by data, do you have any recommendations for them based on kind of your own journey at Spotify? Yeah, I think the first thing I would do is to actually really um, uh, decide uh, if if I'm going to, you know, stay on the platform because it's not that the train is leaving. Uh, 
And I think people told me that over and over again when we were not really using data the way we should. And it was like, you have to buy into this tool. You need to work this way. You need to come up with all these cool names. I think, you know, hey, get on the train um, because it will be leaving the platform, but you don't have to stress. And two, it doesn't sit in any kind of HR systems or, or cool names or, but, but I would invest in the thought of uh, and have a cl- clear mind of, are you in the school or in the camp of uh, HR people going more analytics or analytical people learning HR? Yeah. We were in the camp of, hey, I think everybody in my team actually have an analytical mindset because I think people have. And it's going to be easier to teach them that when they see what they can do with these toys and how much more they can embed themselves into the business by having the data and being more informed and having much more, you know, um, clever discussions uh, uh, when it comes to uh, business decision rather than go with the camp. And I'm not saying that people will not be successful, but we just didn't decide to go with trying to find typical analytical people and say, don't you want to work in HR? And then why don't you learn all the 171 colors on the HR palette so you know how we can embed this and tell the story? I thought it was faster and easier and also much more fun to to be in the camp that we choose. And I would probably do that. That would be my advice. Don't look into the one system that will solve for everything. You have to... and, And the last piece was... Who in your team can actually connect the dots and who can tell the story? Um, because storytelling is not really one thing that everybody uh, do really well. But most people, when they do understand and see their, their picture, they can do it. So I think, you know, things comes to life and, and you have your arguments there. So that would be my advice, actually, to, 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 to not be so, you know, system focused, but more mindful of, where do you put this uh, unit of yours uh, and how how do you recruit to it? And, and also how will you use it? And then start to tell your stories in a way and then build the confidence from there. And then it's kind of one of those, you know, self-played piano, pianos after that. Well, let's, let's continue down the story path, you know, for a moment. I know uh, Spotify is heavily investing in the podcast space. You've mm-hmm. uh, recently acquired uh, Anchor when this airs and, and several other companies in the space. And I'm curious from how does, how do podcasts and or audio storytelling uh, uh, show up in your people operations or your recruiting operations? You know, are, are you leveraging, yeah, are you, are you leveraging those, those platforms in terms of how you, uh, how you attract talent or, or how you kind of engage your internal talent? I think the boring answer would be no, but that is not really true. <laughs> I just had my yearly HR summit, so we we have different ways to, you know, align and commit and make sure that we have a vision and and get there. And nothing with that is original or very, you know, ooh, up and jumping. Uh, okay. But the thing is, we decided to um, uh, go glamping this time and to really go native in so many ways and then have the theme of dare to disrupt, which is not really far-fetched in, in a company like this. 
But I wanted, uh, I wanted the team uh, and all within HR, no matter who they are and, and how long they've been here or how experienced they are, to start to think about everything, you know, uh, the way we do things and, and, and really, really pressure test. Uh, uh, so we don't, uh, so we don't keep or cling to things of, well, we need to do this because of labor law or hide behind, like, is that really, you know, uh, compliance? I, I, I truly believe that, you know, complacent is the enemy of great. And, and I think our, um, sometimes, um, profession has, um, uh, a tendency to hide behind very, chosen truth of what you can do and what you cannot do so i wanted to uh, and i want to challenge that all the time so we actually took two days out and looked at everything that i think is known by mankind as an hr process or something that usually is owned and then you know opened up to anything and now you think that i lost your question but but i'm coming to that so hold on <laughs> so one thing because podcast is new for mankind and podcast is quite new for us too was um there were several teams that came up with things that we could use um um within how we do hr from now on and going uh, into the future I will hold on as a cliffhanger and you will read that in the <laughs> blog. But there are a couple of things that we uh, already started to look into. And we spent last HRE team on all those ideas that was pitched in like in, in, in a, like a, a, a dragon's den or, or a shark tank. Uh, and, and all the teams got immediate feedback or instant feedback on their ideas and how disruptive they were and what we think we can do. And they are now placed into the different teams. Uh, so we will continue to work with them. And here, uh, several really cool and, and quite new ideas came out, how we can use pod or audible in a way that we haven't seen uh, anyone do and and we have not started to do ourselves yet but but more to come on that but but uh, again um if you would ask me what do we do now i would say not much or or nothing um but i'm really curious to see what we can do um with 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 the with the with the strength and also the power but also the energy that audible actually has yeah, well, I would I would love to see your notes for that offsite. I think uh, <laughs> sounds like a, a a Willy Wonka cookbook of uh, of ideas. And I, to me, I mean, I love that you actually took your team to do that uh, and have that you know kind of let's build things from the ground up. Because I think what, one of the biggest legacy anchors, if you will, to HR in my view is the fact that you know we we have these truths like you mentioned and. Mm-hmm. Our, our evolution from them is very slow and very mm-hmm. iterative and it's, it's incremental. It's okay, we did this way, now we're gonna do it slightly different and it, mm-hmm. now it's different. Like, well, it's still basically that same thing. And the, the world around us has changed dramatically over the last 10 years, over the last yeah. five years, over the last two years. And that, yeah. that evolution is gonna continue to shrink in terms of you know, radical differences in, in terms of what it means to work and what employees are expecting from an organization and, and all different kinds of elements. And so that you know, incremental evolution approach is, is going to be a, a massive anchor that's going to hold companies back. I think we're going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board every couple of years and say, okay, here's our reality today. How would we build for this? Yeah. How would we kind of create? I totally, I totally agree. And I think what is so sometimes 
mind-blowing is that you don't even have to go into the future to come <laughs> up with a new idea. Right. And, and a couple of examples of that. I, I, I have been running since I was head of learning and development back in the days. Um, we had in our business-driven action learning program something that we called Walk and Talks, where we wanted all the participates, uh, p- participants in the program to actually get to know each other, but also use each other more of, you know, uh, this is what it's like at my my job right now. So they could have like a, a, a way to air everything that was, you know, uh, holding them down or the things that, you know, were keeping them awake. So it was a way of getting some fresh air and move their legs, but also, you know, uh, building rapport and getting to know. Uh, and and then I kept doing them for myself because I sometimes don't understand why we sit down in all meetings, especially in the one-on-ones. And I have one-on-one with all the people that report into me on a weekly basis. They said, why don't we start to walk? And we're going to walk when it's rainy and in Sweden when it's snowing too. So, you know, just put good shoes on and, and wear sensible clothes. And, and then after a while, uh, which is just, I think, a year ago, I started to put some of them out on LinkedIn. And now to the thing that really kind of uh, made me sit down was the feedback of, okay, so you call them HR walks, Katarina, but you're not just walking with HR people, which is the people that I usually walk with uh, when I post. Uh, and large, so what is the new thing with this is that people still think that HR is only thing that HR does, which is a satellite, which is maybe producing PowerPoints on processes that is typical, old fashioned, very traditional HR. Right. So when we go, so the feedback was like, okay, we get the walk and talk. We might even steal the idea to do walk and talk and have meetings that way. Um, uh, So thank you for that. We love the topics and we would like to be a fly on the wall when you talk to these interesting, smart people. And I do understand that because, hey, man, oh man, uh, what a a pleasure and also, you know, luxury that is. But the thing is uh, that took me back was when I walk with business people or CEOs or head of R&D or, you know, uh, an MD for India, people go, but that is not an HR walk. And then I go, my God, are we still there? Uh, HR is everything, everything that we do, everything we don't do and everything between, right? That is what it is. So that is one thing of you don't even have to bring something new to make it new. The other thing that we did, I think 2015, uh, when we brought the uh, the global parental leave into, okay, so in Sweden back then, I think for, for dads, uh, not talking about moms, but for dads, we have had uh, parental leave uh, for 28 years. So I just took, uh, you know, Swedish, uh, taking for granted kind of benefit and 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 together with the team of no Swedish people, which was important to me, uh, two two Americans uh, and one British, and I said like, okay, so this is what everything looks like when it comes to parental leave in Sweden, uh, and we don't we don't necessarily you know um, uh, mind who was it somebody that gave birth is this the same sex uh, couples it is adoption is it you know surrogacy all of that said, okay, read up on this and come uh, with a suggestion what that would look like if we would then roll it out as a global kind of uh, a benefit or diversity and inclusion piece or whatever you think it is. 
And they came back with what we then um, rolled out 2015, uh, which was um, six months uh, for everybody um, uh, and everybody. Uh, and then one month to ease back because it is quite, you know, change life changing when when you get your first or second or third child or, or in what order it is uh, and you spend time uh, when it's most precious and time that will never come back uh, and, and we don't care if you're the mom or dad or you're the dad or dad or the mom and mom or you know um, we just think that that is good and then when we did that on the launch and with the press, and especially in US, the question I got to answer like 259 times was, isn't this expensive? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. And two, why do you do this? And I'm like, well, because it's the right thing to do. And uh, that is the company we are. And um, most people in Sweden have been doing this for more than 30 years. And and we are a Swedish company and um, we think it's better for people and for parents and for children and for society and for communities. So, and uh, we don't really necessarily. And then the question again was, why hasn't other Swedish big companies done this? Um, they've been around for a long time. And like, I'm not really here to answer on the behalf of, you know, <laughs> Ericsson or H&M or Ikea or Volvo or, or you name it, right? But I think, you know, that wasn't a new thing. It wasn't very innovative. Uh, it's just old things that you know work, and then you mix it up in a way that it works for us, and you put it out there, and people go like, oh, this is so new, and this is so great, and this is so life-changing, but we don't understand why you do it. So sometimes I think we sit down hard and try to come up with this very, you know, innovative processes and and name them and label them to be something that needs to be brand new i think it's usually is too old stuff that you put together you mix it up and you throw it out in the market and you are real about it and you're authentic about it and you have experience about it or you're just very daring and want to try and the worst thing that could happen with a good intent is that it didn't fly um, but people know that you try to do something that was groundbreaking or new or good for your people, uh, and it wasn't a campaign. So uh, I think these are the things that we need to do within HR too. Just you know, try to be smart about the things that we have known for a long time, and we don't have to wait for these really good authors that are actually really good marketeers uh, that package things that we have known for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And all of a sudden, somebody writes about it uh, and there's a trend and it goes viral and everybody talks about it. And we've been doing that work for a lot of years. Right. Well, I love the, you know, the ethical leadership there in terms of making decisions for what is you know, right for your employees, the communities, children. You know, it's not, we get so focused on bottom line decisions, especially in the U.S. You know, it's such a bottom line driven market. And that has a real influence on how we look at leave policies. And I think that conversation is starting to shift. I think especially if you look at 21st century HR kind of oriented organizations, I think mm -hmm. their, their leave policies are becoming more generous. They're becoming yep. gender neutral. Um, I think that's really good. I think I'd like to see that trend continue, but it, it's great that to see kind of leaders like you making that decision and that investment. And yes, it's an investment, but it's it's not it's not just about bottom line. It's about what's right for 
employees and families and communities and all the different um, you know, touch points that that decision impacts. Right. But even if you want to go bottom line or investment, uh, I mean, you know, as well as I, what companies put into a brand and employee brand. You also know how expensive it is to actually recruit somebody that is right for you. And then you put on top of that the cost to onboard somebody and yeah. to retain. And, and, and it's the same thing with employees as it is with customers. It's much more um, uh, it's actually much more much more expensive to find new than sure. to keep old, right? So yes, it is an investment, but it is an investment in your people. Yeah. Um, so it is a retention plan, but it's also something that builds society. But also, you know, it's something that you do for your people. And to get all these emails or letters or people come up or, you know, sending pictures when they are home, especially, I would say, you know, the dads in countries that never, ever thought that it would be possible for them to be home six months after after their partner was home. Right. Um, obviously, you get all fussy and warm inside. And, and sometimes, yes, you get very emotional, too. But you know that it's the right thing, and and uh, it also the other thing that we we don't necessarily talk about uh, in, and I'm not talking about Spotify, but the rest of the companies that understands this and have put it in, it is actually not necessarily only an attraction tool. Uh, it's not necessarily only a retention tool, but it's actually a diversity and belonging tool, right? Yeah. By keeping. For instance, the dad or making it possible for the dad not lose his job or not seen as he's not ambitious uh, and spending time that is super precious uh, uh, with the family, uh, you know, in, in those first couple of months. It is actually also allowing uh, in, in those relationships where there is a mom to actually go to work and not focus or having a split vision or not being, you know, um, uh, having the, the, the worry about that, what I, I can't really go back to work or I can't be at work at 100%. Uh, yes, you can, because the dad is now home with the kid. Right. So, yeah. so doing a lot of things within that area that we have said when it comes to career opportunities for both genders, right? So I think it's so many reasons why that is important. And and then I think that gave us the confidence then to sit down and think about, okay, what is other things that we could do within the diversity, inclusion and belonging kind of. And then we said, okay, inspired by a company that I used to work for that had done something on a local national kind of thing. We said, why don't we then also package and decide what flexible holidays would look like if you a company that are time zone wise from San Francisco to, to Sydney, right? And and you have all these nationalities and, and you have people with different backgrounds. Uh, obviously not everybody has what I would call the white man uh, um, weekends uh, or, you know, s- celebrate all the Christian uh, uh, celebrations. Right. So why don't we just do flexible holidays? So it, it makes sense for you to, uh, depending of you know if you uh, are religious uh, or if you're not religious, you might want to just follow the pride um, parade around the world, or you, uh, maybe you want to celebrate your birthday uh, several times uh, in okay. a row instead of going, you know, having Christmas or Easter or it's always a Saturday Sunday. If you're going to have productivity up um, and you're a, a truly global company, 
it's actually good that not everybody goes on vacation or weekend at the same time. Or uh, why would you force people to go home when it doesn't make sense for they not celebrating anything because half of us or maybe not even half today uh, have those uh, red letter days in our calendars. So again, I don't think you have to be groundbreaking. I think you just have to utilize the things uh, that you already have, put them together in a different way. But I also think you have to know why you do that. So it doesn't look like, you know, you, you're trying to be overly smart. I think it has to be, make sense for your people. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, the, in terms of the, the holiday policy, so basically is that, how is that structured? Like, do you not have set policy or set uh, uh, holiday kind of days and everybody just has like a, a pool that they can use however they see fit? Yes. So you have, depending on where you are, so uh, the way it is structured uh, uh, for that country or, or what you have in vacation days, uh, you, you keep the days that you have depending on where, because it differs a lot if you're all around the world. But then you don't have to take the, the days that usually ends up in your calendar for most companies that are Western companies, which would be um, the Christian Easter or the Christian Christmas. Um, but instead you could have your Jewish holiday or you could have, you know, uh, um, you can be off when, when, when uh, it's your feast, right? Um, um, so, so you could do that. You, the only thing that we have said, um, because when we introduced it, we didn't know ooh, what, what will that actually do for um, planned productivity or planned shipping of, 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 of things that are important. The only thing that we have said, can you please be respectful and mindful and, and give a heads up to your manager that might be also planning um, what the team is supposed to deliver and when. Uh, but it hasn't been a problem. The only thing is that people go, finally, I can be off with my, my, with my family that actually celebrates this. Or, you know, uh, finally, uh, I don't have to sit home and just wait to go back to work because, you know, since I'm not celebrating this and everything is closed more or less in this part of the world, um, it, it's, it's, it's very strange that the calendar dictates when I'm going to have time off. So right. the flexible uh, or flexibility uh, and where it makes sense for you is it's 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 up to the employee, but with uh, uh, in 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 a in a kind of um, agreement with with the the closest manager. That's really interesting. That's uh and but smart. I can definitely see the why that makes sense for everybody. Um, yeah, Kendra, it's been, it, I mean, there's been so much to cover. I think feel like we could go for another hour easily, but I, I, I want to be mindful of everyone's time. But the two last questions I want to ask you before we wrap up are, you know, a lot of this conversation has really been centered on a lot of things that I think are, are kind of key pillars of 21st century HR. And I'm curious, you know, when you think about 21st century HR, how would you define it? It's. It's. Uh, I think it's one of the toughest questions. I think also we have been one of the professions that has been talking about what is global HR uh, compared to local HR. I don't know, uh, or what is future HR. I think. I think what be, would be twenty one uh, or or okay back to. So what do I think it is? I think uh, it will be even more close to the business decision. And I think that disruptiveness will come into how 
uh, how will we work in the future if there is, for instance, no um, contract or people are much more freelancing, no matter what business it is, when technology makes it maybe possible for everybody to be remote or the flip side, again, the new might be the old. When everything is up in the air and very digital, will people even more so want to go to one office, one building, one team and work on things that are super tangible and try to figure out what that is. I think no, ma- no matter if it's the, the stream that goes even more kind of um, into um 100% connected, uh, very digi- digital, very much uh, into um, systems that we don't even uh, have today or might not even be able to foresee. How do you make sure that you build a culture, if necessary, uh, to build loyalty, if necessary? Uh, Questioning everything, more or less. Would that be our role? Or when everything is of nothing... I don't trust anything in society anymore. I don't really know where the news is coming from or uh, everything is new and I have to roll with the program. Do I want to be even more conservative when it comes to my job and my colleagues and my boss and, and my tasks? What will work look like then? So I think it's it's really trying to pressure test two different things at the same time and two kind of opposites. And what would it look like when we have no contracts with employees or we have even closer contracts with employees when they don't come to an office and work is only the thing that we do, not necessarily a place we go to, or when it's really a place we go to because everything else is a bit scary and, and, and you know, changeable all the time. So I think to start to think about that and what that means and then kind of roll and paddle backwards of, does that mean to everything that we know uh, for being true today? Great. Well, Katarina, I really appreciate all of your insights and experience. I think you gave uh, listeners a lot of great uh, examples of modern HR and things they can aim for. So thanks so much for, for spending some time and sharing your wisdom. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.